This week we come to a conclusion of a series we started eight weeks ago. Uh, if you've not been here with us, you can go back and catch up, you know, because we have podcasts of every, every message that, of the last several months, and you can go online, listen to them there or whatever. But uh, today I want to wrap up a series we began eight weeks ago talking about the early church. And the first week I talked about the early church, the first question I ask, I'm going to ask again today. And the question is this, when you think about the word church, what do you think about? When you think about the word church, what do you think about? Do you think about uh, uh, the word that's up here, unstoppable? Is that what you think about? I mean, like powerful, um, bold, is that word, things you think about the church? Or do you think of things like anemic or ritualistic or... I just go ahead and name the list. I don't know where you, you think what you think about the church, but all of us have some, some uh, uh, things that we think about the church about. And we began to talk about this because we began to look at the early church, the church in the book of Acts. And we began eight weeks ago talking to, starting in Acts chapter 1. And now today we're kind of concluding this first section of Acts. And I shared with you that my hope eventually over the next couple of years is to go through in probably four different sections, this being the first section, covering the whole, uh, the whole book of Acts because it has to do with so many things that are so powerful and so, many, so much helpful because it's story after story after story. And everybody likes a good story, right? I mean, that's, that's one of the things that we love. Uh, when, uh, somebody who can really communicate well, they know how to tell stories. And so the Bible uh, in different places is story, filled with stories, but particularly the book of Acts, it's the story of how the church began and what the church was all about. And when Acts and, and, and Acts, the early church began, it was really about a movement. It was about a movement focused on an event. And it was an event that the people in the early church could not stop talking about. It was the event called the resurrection. And we talk about that event every year in a special day, which is, which is what? Easter, okay? I mean, everybody, we focus on the resurrection at Easter. But really, everything we do as a church is really wrapped up into that whole thing about, this is the thing that we're talking about, the resurrection. It was about the name of Jesus Christ. It was about this whole thing. And so when we look back at the beginning of the church, back in the beginning of Acts chapter 1, and we began we began to study that over, over the last several weeks, uh, what we began to understand is that on the first day of the church, man, God's, Jesus had said, I'm getting ready to leave, and when I leave, I'm going to leave something special for you. It's called the Holy Spirit, and when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, in Acts chapter 1-8, it says, you will be my witnesses. The Holy Spirit will come into your life and enable you to be my witnesses and everywhere you go. And that was the launch of the early church. And then we saw in Acts chapter 2, 3, 4, and up to where we are today, how that worked out because God came in, in a powerful way into their life. And, uh, it, and it said up to this point, as we've looked at the uh, book of Acts, over 5,000 people, actually 5,000 men, and we talked about how they counted in those days, uh, that, you know, as far as the census thing, it was basically men, women, I'm sorry. It's not that you didn't count, but you didn't count. And... Uh, so, and that wasn't my problem. Okay, that was just the way they did it back then. And so there was at least 5,000 men, probably double that number of women and children and others who had followed Christ in the early church. So it was this huge church, and probably maybe 10% of Jerusalem at this point in time was already followers of Jesus Christ. Followers at this that time, they weren't called uh, Christians, but they were followers of, of the name of Jesus Christ, and, and they knew about the resurrection, and they followed that. And the problem was, as we have discovered over the last several weeks in looking at this, and I would encourage you to go back and read through the first five chapters of Acts. It's a great story. It's a great uh, encouragement for me. Is There was this tenuous balance in, the, in this time 
of power between Rome, who was oversaw everything, and the Jewish religious leaders in Jerusalem. And we see this tenuous balance continually threatened and disrupted by this new movement, this movement of people who followed the name of Jesus and who followed and talked about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So much so that a couple of weeks ago we talked about this, that, that, that they were so threatened by this that the religious leaders uh, took the two guys that were the kind of the head guys of the apostles, Peter and John, and they took them, they threw them in the prison, and as they threw them into prison, what happened? They threatened them and they said, hey, guys, if you keep speaking about this and you keep telling everybody about this, we're going to do something bad. You didn't really tell them what they were going to do, but just said, don't do it anymore. Did that slow them down? Yes or no? This is, there's only two answers. Okay. No. Okay. This is not hard. Okay. And, unless, and if you haven't read it before, I would encourage you to read Scripture. It's a really great story. It's not just a story. It's, it's about living life. And, and the thing is, and God gives us the direction here in Scripture, so it didn't slow them down overnight. And, and they were held overnight, threatened, told them, quit talking about Jesus, the resurrection. But after they were released a couple of weeks ago, we read this pa- passage about after they were released, after they were released from jail, the prayer that the early church prayed, the first recorded prayer that we have of the early church was this in Acts chapter 4, verse 29. And it says this, Now, Lord, consider their threats. And enable your servants to speak with great boldness. I don't know about you guys. We talked about this. We said, you know, if we were thrown in prison for being a Christian and jailed and told and threatened by the government to say, hey, guys, quit doing this, would we respond the same way? Would our first prayer be, hey, let's go out and do it again with great boldness? And then another verse that goes along with with that as part of their prayer, stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus Christ. And we begin to talk about how often in our lives, our prayers, how anemic our prayers are, because so often our prayers, and we pray our prayers are about me, about my family, and about two or three sick people. And that's about as far as we get most of the time in our prayer life. But God says these people in the early church were not focused on just the people right around. They were focused on the community and the world and the people that needed to know Jesus Christ, which was everybody except for the group that was already had already followed him. And a couple of weeks ago, I asked you, I said, hey, uh, why don't we start practicing praying bold prayers? And if you read our uh, e-newsletter this week, uh, if you don't get our e-newsletter, all you do is take the card, put I'd like to get the e-newsletter on it, and you get it, which gives you all the stuff up to date. Every Friday it's sent out, and you get that. The, the first thing on the e-newsletter this week, anybody read the e-newsletter this week? Anybody? anybody? I want to see what this is. This is a survey, okay? Uh, Twelve of you. Okay. Uh, I don't know. That was a brief survey. Um, I asked him there, I said, you know, have you prayed any bold prayers recently, you know? And how is God answering those bold prayers? Because when you begin to pray bold prayers, God will answer them. And so I'd ask you to give me some feedback. And so I hope that I haven't got any emails yet, but I hope you get some emails from you guys because you become different prayers. You started praying bold prayers because that's what God wants us to do. And then God will respond uh, and, and he, he will answer those prayers because he wants us to pray like the early church did in Acts chapter 4, verse 29. Now, Lord, consider their threats. Hey, I don't worry about what people say. And enable your servants to speak your, your word with great boldness. Now, the problem is I found about this whole boldness thing, and we're going to kind of conclude our series today by talking about boldness once again. You're going to like it. Then you talk about two weeks ago. Yeah. 
That's kind of what this whole deal is about. It's about what God wants us to do because, you know, it's really cool. Some people get excited when we start talking about the early church and, man, wouldn't it be great to be a part of the early church because the early church was, was so powerful. It was, you know, it was like people all loved each other and people were all, you know, things were happening and people were coming to Christ. I mean, the first sermon that Peter preached, and he wasn't even a good preacher, was, uh, was uh, 3,000 people came and then a few weeks, a couple of weeks later, 2,000 more show up and, and accept Christ. I mean, it's just stuff's happening. People are being healed. All kind of things are going going on in the early church. And we, we look at that and, and, and we talk about that. And sometimes we think, wouldn't it be great? But I want to warn you today what it means to be a part of, the, of a church that, that, that follows God the way that this early church did. And we're going to look at, it's a church that's bold. And the thing is, is that God, God calls us to, to not just be people who and you say well you know i'm not a bold person but see that's not the issue the issue is is that you do you allow the holy spirit to work in you because once you become a believer the bible says to us clearly clearly no exceptions this is not a gray area this is a black and white area that when when you become a believer the god spirit works it comes into your life begins to work in your life and he enables you to be a witness for him no matter what your personality. Now, some people yeah, are naturally more bold than others. In the early church, I mean, who is the boldest of the bold? Peter, okay? No doubt. Peter, that's just a way, you know, some people are just bold. They just go out and, but doesn't mean you can't be bold in some other ways. And so the problem is, I begin to think about this, and I thought about, you know, the world we live in today and, and what it was like back then. And I'm asking myself, are we bold that way? And, and, and I, the answer that I gave was no. And then I began to ask, why not? Because in spite of the fact that we live in one of the safest nations in the world, in some of the safest communities in the safest nation in the world, we are still afraid sometimes to let people know that we're a Christian. You know, I mean, we live in a safety-conscious uh, world. I mean, I thought it was cool yesterday, OSF out here. You know, what were they giving out to the kids? Bike helmets. Everybody, hey, man, if you missed yesterday, you missed out a free bike helmet. That was cool. I, mean, I didn't know they were going to do that. I knew OSF was going to show up and do a booth thing, but I just thought they were handing out pencils or something, you know. But they, you know, everybody, every kid that went to come got a free bike helmet, you know, and, and they were doing all, and we had all kind of people doing all, it was really cool. But we're so safety conscious in America. I mean, everybody's got a helmet except for by, by, uh, motorcycle riders in Illinois. And, uh, I still don't understand that. Um, <clears throat> I'm sure insurance companies really love that. Um, you know, we all have seat belts. Uh, we all have a, a, a lawyer on retainer. You don't. You know, uh, well, you know, we, a lot of people do because we're always worried about something. We're going to get sued or something. We're so safety conscious in our world today. But we live in the safest nation in some of the safest communities in all the world, and we're still afraid. We are so worried. And I thought about this, and I'm thinking, you know, if Christians in many places and other places in the world heard our prayers, sometimes they might laugh at us because we pray things like, well, Lord, you know, let me have a safe trip. And they're going like, you know, in, in a third world country, they're going like, you have roads? To even drive on. I mean, I drive on a rutted path, you know, you know, and, and, and I hear stories about that. And we're going like, man, let's have a safe trip. Okay, well, okay. How about this one? I mean, we pray this one. You know, school just started and, and you're praying and like, you know, Lord, help my kids to do well in school. And people in third world countries are going like, your kids get to go to school? 
pretty amazing. Are we, are we, are we pray things like, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> we think like God bless me, like we don't have enough blessings already. You know that you have probably more money in the ashtray of your car that's sitting in the parking lot this morning than many people make in a week or sometimes even in a month and the average person in the world. You ever thought about that? In your ashtray, in your car. I counted mine this morning. I have $12. In nickels and quarters and dimes. I keep throwing them in there because I don't like to have stuff in my pocket jangling around. You know, of all the Christians in all the world who have the least to fear about being bold in our faith, it's us It's us that, that have that. And, and we are some of the least bold believers in all of the world. And so, I, you know, I began to ask myself, you know, recently, as I was reading Acts, once again, I've read Acts before, and I was reading Acts and studying this and, and thinking about it, and I'm going like, God? And I asked this, I said, God, you know, do you, do you even take my prayers seriously? These anemic prayers that, I mean, it's, I'm not, you're not, it's not just you, it's me too. Anemic prayers. Prayers about your safety and health and everything. I mean, it's all right to pray those prayers, but if that's all we pray, see, it shows that we have no, no really, Focus beyond ourselves. And I ask myself, what have we allowed to erode our boldness? How, how has our boldness been eroded? And what are the things that we are afraid of? Like somebody might not like me? Is that it? Is that our biggest fear? You see, there was a time, and we look back, and this is the book, Church and Acts, there was a time when the local church was all about one simple thing. And that one simple thing was this, that everyone... That we believe that everyone lives somewhere for eternity. And God has sent us the answer to the dilemma of where am I going to live for eternity? He gave it through his son, Jesus Christ. That's what the resurrection was all about. It answers the one question that all of us need answered is about where am I going to be eternally? And that was such an important question. And the biggest need in people's lives was understood that people needed Jesus because that is the only way you can live with God eternally. And so that was the focus of the church, the resurrection, the name of Jesus. It wasn't about buildings. It wasn't about, you know, hierarchy, none of those things. There was a time when the local church was completely open-handed. Completely open-handed. And if we read a couple of weeks ago, actually last week, about the, the early church, and, and what was it, the two words that, it, that identified the early church we talked about last week in the last part of chapter 4, the first part of chapter 5, generosity and authenticity. The early church was a group of people. That's the part that appeals to us. Man, these people, like I said, nobody had a need. Well, you know why? Because everybody had, everything was held out like this. See, that was, see, the last thing that the people in the early church worried about was themselves because they were so concerned about the people around them. There was a time when the local church was so saturated by a kind of love, the people outside the church looked at them with awe and are going like, man, they love each other so much. How do they do that? Because they knew it was supernatural. It was beyond the norm. And, and, and they knew that because of the way they treated each other and also the way they treated outsiders. Luke says in Scripture that they that, that the church, the early church, had favor in their community. And I ask ourselves this ask myself this question. Does Great Oaks have favor in our community? I mean, yeah, we had a cool event yesterday. I think it was great, man. I don't know about you guys. I thought it was great. It was a lot of fun. And some people connected with us. And and you know, maybe some of you showed up this morning because you're going like, Well, that was that was not bad. Maybe let's go check out these people. They're not as weird as we think they are. But the thing is, is 
is the early church had this favor with their community because of their love and their, and their openness to people. But I believe we've lost a lot of that into our churches today, especially churches in America. Because, And I believe part of the reason is because we're so blessed. You're going like, what? Yeah. Part of the reason we've lost our edge, we've lost our, our, our ability to be bold is because we're so blessed. You know, and I don't want to tell you this. Don't feel guilty for the blessing. Don't feel guilty for the blessing because we live in a safe place, and I'm glad we live in a safe place. I'm not asking let's go find a place that's really rough and live there because, you know, that's not really smart. But the issue is is that don't feel guilty for the blessing, but what you should do is you should just feel responsible for the blessing. Responsible. Because Scripture tells us for who has given much, much is required. It says it over in James. So the point of this time today is this. We need to amp up our boldness. You're going like, that's not what I want to come here today. You know, I want to hear about God's love. Because God is love. That's all it is. No, no, God is love, yes, but he wants us to love others and have purpose here on this earth. And, and I want to be a part of a church that loves people so much that, man, we have favor in the community, not just when we have a community bash, but when we have every day of the week because people understand that we love each other so much and we care for each other so much and we care for the community so much that we, are, we live our lives in an open-handed, generous way where we think about others before we think about ourselves. I love the testimonies of the kids. Isn't that cool? I think it was incredible. Some of the things they, they shared in, in, their, uh, in their baptism testimonies. So the point of the time of day is this. We need to amp up our boldness because we are too afraid and we have nothing of consequence really to be afraid of as Americans and as Christians. So now to the story, okay? That's where we are today. We're going to look at Scripture for a few minutes. If you have your Bibles, turn with me over to Acts chapter 5. And put it at, at, at verse uh, 27, but I just want to kind of lead up to that real quick. Where we are, Acts chapter 5, verse 27, we're going to look at that in just a moment here. <clears throat> it says this, let me tell you what story, the, the little gap between where we were and where we are now. Peter and John, you know, after they got out of jail, what did they do? They kept preaching, they kept sh- sharing things, and, and the message, and uh, they got out of prison. And the cool thing about it is that as they were preaching... Uh, and their people started flocking to them because something was going on. Something was going on. And we also know that in the, in the scripture here in chapter five that, that God gave, uh, gave the, gave the, uh, uh, apostles a temporary gift of healing because we see this very evident early church and the purpose of it was to show that God was at work in a powerful new way in their community. And later on in the Acts, that, that doesn't go away totally, but it basically almost disappears. But here in the early part of Acts, uh, the apostles had the ability, God gave them the ability to, uh, to, to heal people through his power. And, and Jesus uh, given them this, this ability. And because of this, people, you know, would go around and, and they would bring all their, their lame and their sick to, to, the, to the apostles so they could be healed. But the thing was, it wasn't about the healing that was important because, you know, you know the thing about the healing, everybody that was healed, everybody, it wasn't a permanent solution because everybody that was healed in the early church, they all died. Right? Have you ever met a first century person walking around going like, you know, the apostles healed me and I just can't die? No, that wasn't the purpose. The purpose was to show the power of God. To show that God was, was doing something new and real in their life and that, and that God was, that what Jesus had done upon the cross was real. And because of that, you know, the early church, uh, the early, early, early religious leaders, 
uh, not the Christians, but the religious leaders, uh, they were who those who had been in charge. They were becoming, Luke says in verse 17, they were become jealous. They were jealous. You know what happened? Because you see, you know, like uh, they couldn't figure out why everybody wasn't showing up at their services now. You know, and, and the religious leaders probably said, hey, you know, one of the Pharisees said, hey, guy, you know, why aren't you coming to my service? And he looks at him and goes, well, you know, um, uh, you know, Peter, he's not a great preacher, but, but, uh, he healed my, my aunt Bessie. And, uh, and by the way, I mean, when I come to your church, you just read Isaiah and I don't have a clue what you're talking about anyway. I just made that up. But, uh, but that's kind of what he was talking about. And so they became jealous because everybody was flocking to the apostles, to the new, to the new movement, the way, the, the, uh, the, they were flocking to the people who were followers of Jesus, the name. And because of that, there was this huge tension. And um, the experts in the law, the religious leaders saw off, and they, they became very, very angry. And they became disrupted. And in verse 27, we read what happens after they become angry enough. Remember, Peter and John had been in prison once overnight. And then it says in verse 27, it says, The apostles, and this is not, who's, who's the apostles? The 12 guys, Okay. The apostles, the, the, the 12, 11 or 12 at this point, we're not sure how many exactly were there, but all of them, not just Peter and John, it says the apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin, that's the religious leaders, to be questioned by the high priest. In verse 28 it says, and we gave, and this is what he says to them. He said, remember, he's already told this to John and to Peter. He says, we gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. Now it's interesting. He won't even say the name of Jesus. He won't even say, he could say, not preaching in Jesus' name, but he's almost like, what's the problem with saying the name Jesus? I mean, even in our culture sometimes, we, we have this, like, stigma about, you know, you know, uh, well, you know, who's, who do you follow? Jesus. We don't want to say the name. It's, it's something almost scary. I mean, we could say, I, I believe in God. You know, 80% of Americans, 84% of Americans say they believe in God. But when they use the term Jesus, for some reason, there's some kind of stigma attached to it almost sometimes because it, it kind of equates you with a specific mindset or something. And so in the early church here, these, these religious leaders, they're going like, we gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. What's your problem? That's what he's saying. I mean, you... And Peter's probably looking around going, you know, Peter being the leader of the group, he's probably looking around and going like, well, dudes, I mean, I'm just telling the truth. I mean, this only happened two months ago. The, the crucifixion, the burial, the resurrection, it only happened two months ago. And don't you remember? It's not just something that, you know, people heard about. We saw it. And the reason we telling people that you're responsible is because, guys, you were. You were. And so he tells... You know, and so that's what he says. And then Peter and the other apostles, verse 29, Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. So he's, Peter, instead of being, being quiet after being threatened, what does he do? He says it again. He says, you did it. It's a fact. And then he says this in verse 31, God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things. We just didn't hear about them. We are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. You know, Peter just wouldn't be quiet. 
And God had given him the ability to be bold at this point. And of course, what happens? They loved him, right? No, verse 33, when they heard this, when they heard what all the stuff that Peter was saying, they were furious and wanted to put him to death. I mean, you know, somebody basically goes against everything you believe and, uh, and, and kind of in your face. I mean, what do you, what do you want to do? Do you want to, well, I mean, you may not want to put him to death, but at least you won't like him very much. But it says they were furious and wanted to put him to death because it was threatening everything they were, all their power, all their authority, all their position. But then something amazing happens here. A voice of reason comes in the midst of all this thing here. And it says this in verse 34. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was honored by all the people, he must have been famous, he must have been somebody who was really, really eloquent, he was somebody who could speak well, somebody that they listened to. You know, there's always people in groups that tend to have more, uh, you know, it's not always the person who's the person sitting in the chair. The chairman. Sometimes it's somebody else that everybody listens to. We don't know if Gamaliel was that or not. But it says, but Gamaliel, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and he ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. That's kind of a strange thing. Well, basically he wanted to talk to all the guys. He says, God, and so he puts, they put them outside for a little while. He says, I got a plan. I, you need to listen to this before you get, you know, you go off and, and kill some more guys and make, instead of one martyr, you have, you know, 12 extra martyrs now. And you have to deal with that because it's not worked too well so far with the, with the other thing that we did with Jesus. And so, look, there, verse 35, he says, then he addressed the Sanhedrin. This Gamaliel addresses the Sanhedrin. And he says, men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Sometime, and then he gives a couple of examples. He said, you know, some time ago, Thutis appeared. We don't know anything about Thutis other than what's right here. There's no other extra biblical information about it. This is the only place we see it. But he says, remind them, and they always knew who Thutis was. Some time ago, Thutis appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. So God, some guy started a rebellion. They came to him. And he says, he was killed, and all of his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. Okay, that's one example. He said, if that's not good enough, let me tell you another one. After him... Judas the Galilean appeared. Now, we do know about Judas of the Galilean because there's extra-biblical information and historical evidence that this guy appeared because it was during a time when they were going to do a census for taxation. You know, I mean, that's not the first time in history that people have been taxed, you know. You think this today is that way, but no, it's, it was back then too. It says, after him, Judas of the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all of his followers were scattered. And then he makes the case. This is what he says. In summation, let me say this in verse 38. Therefore, in the present case, talking about what to do with the apostles. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. And then he gives the reason why he says this. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. You know what he was doing? He was being politically correct. This guy was a perfect politician because he's going like, you know, guys, you know, if, if these other two guys, this Thutis and, 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 and this Judas the Galilean, when it happened, who took care of the problem? Who could care? We don't know here, but we do know. It was the Romans. Because the Romans really weren't against Christianity. They weren't for or against any of these things. They were only for or against things. They were against things that caused disruption in the flow and the peace that was happening. And so they took care of this because it was happening. So the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, didn't have to do anything. They stayed out of the picture. Isn't that a political, you know, 
There's no accountability there. No, that's what happened. He's saying, so he's saying because this happened twice before, if we let it go and these guys prove to be false, guess what? The Romans will take care of it for us. We don't have to worry about it. Politically savvy guy. But then he says this, that this is, this is really insightful here. And he says in verse 39, but it, if it is, it is, but if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. What is the implication here? What Gamaliel is saying is this, the only thing that could overcome the power of Rome would be what? God. And if this is from God, guys, look what we're going to be doing. I mean, if it's if it's not from God, Rome will take care of it. If it's from God, you're going to be fighting God. Anybody that fights God loses, ultimately. And so that's what's going on here. And then in verse 40, his speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in. And had them flogged. And then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and to let them go. Now, when we read this, we can gloss right over that. Except those of you, how many of you have seen The Passion of the Christ? The movie, The Passion of the Christ. Most, a lot of you, most of you. Do you understand what flogging is now? After seeing that movie? Did you have a new appreciation for the whole concept of flogging? I was up at the, uh, <clears throat> this past week, my wife and I spent a couple of days in St. Louis, and on our way back, we stopped at the Lincoln Museum, and we were going through, and we saw an example there. If you go through the Lincoln Museum, you see examples and pictures of, of slaves that were flogged up in Springfield. And the thing about it is, is it, it's a horrible picture there that I saw of, of a slave who had permanent scars on his back. From being flogged. It's the same thing that happened back here in Roman days. So we see that. So when we read that, we're going like, okay, his speech persuaded them, but they just didn't let him go. Before they let him go, they beat them brutally. Do you understand the importance of understanding and stopping here and understanding what that, that is? It wasn't a simple, yeah, we're going to let you guys go. Go out and do your thing. They beat them brutally. They had permanent scars. Every time they took off their shirt, to go fishing or whatever, man, there was there were scars on their back. And, and probably this may have taken half the day to do because probably one at a time, and they probably did this knowing from Roman, uh, from Roman culture and from different things that went on there, they probably did it while everybody else had to watch, and you knew you were next. And they watched all their other friends flogged. And when they finished beating them brutally, after several hours... They let them go. They told them not to speak the name of Jesus, and they let them go. Then verse 41. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing. Rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that and I thought about it, I got on my knees and wept. And I asked God for forgiveness. And this is where most of us need to be sometimes, on our knees repenting. It's so often in the world where we simply live in the safest place, the safest nation, the safest places in all the world. We need to repent of our lack of boldness. 
because we're so afraid something negative is going to happen to us, like somebody won't like us, or maybe they won't let us be a part of the foursome, or, or maybe we won't get the, you know, the grade in school because we have, a t- we have a teacher who's not a Christian, and maybe if I speak up, and, and I do it even in a nice way, they won't, they won't give me an A on a test, or maybe I won't get the, the thing at work, the, you know, the, the, the rewards because my boss is not a believer as well. And so we were so afraid of all those things that you know, it might happen to us terrible things, you know. What's happened to us? That's what I have to ask myself. What's happened to us? We are so extraordinarily blessed that instead of being grateful and being good stewards of the blessing, we've allowed it to strip us of our boldness. And I'm no exception. I just have to be honest with you. I mean, I really, in reading this and praying about it, I'm going like, God, God, I don't even, I start praying, I'm going like, God, I don't even want to pray those prayers. They're so stupid. They're not stupid to God, I know, but I feel like it's so weak compared to like the prayers these guys prayed. Verse 42, day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. You know, that's why we got the, t- the term unstoppable fine for this series, because guess what it says? They never stopped. You couldn't stop these guys because the Holy Spirit lived in them in such a way he created it to them a desire, first of all, to be open and honest and generous toward, towards God and towards people. And he gave them incredible boldness. So, so I read that and I'm going like, okay, how do I apply that to us? You know, I can tell you great stories about people in other parts of the world that are bold for Christ. They live in third world countries. They live in difficult places. And you go home and go, oh, Pastor Bill, do you remember that story Pastor Bill told about this and this and this? And it would be a great story. But I, was, I said, well, you know, what I need to do is start where we are. So what I want to do in the last two minutes here is talk about some boldness baby steps for us. Bold, that's where we are, okay? Let's just be honest. That's where we are. Boldness baby steps. you got to start where we are. Okay, so let me, let me give you some boldness baby steps. Bold, where we are right now, bold is deciding to say something when it would be easier to say nothing. Bold is deciding to say something when it would be easier to say nothing. And I thought about some illustrations of this. I thought about one of our young people sitting in the front row right here who they, they, the family had, had a, uh, a Basque student this year. And, uh, and I, I'm not going to tell your name, Nate. But uh, anyway... Uh, <laughs> But I remember uh, a story was told. Well, this, Nate's mom is, is one of my secretaries, and she was telling me about what happened when one of the best students they were they were down in I think you were down in Lake of the Ozarks or somewhere, and, and one of the best students. We're so afraid to speak to these kids because we don't want to offend them. Okay. We don't want to offend them. And, and it's, it's, it's true. We, we don't push them away. But at the same time, uh, Nate was having a conversation, and one of the kids started telling a story and talking about something in Scripture. And, and Nate looked at him and kind of looked at him. Instead of just saying nothing, he said, okay, yeah, i I, I got to be quiet. Nate looked at him and said, you know, I don't know the exact words you said, Nate, but I, I heard it because it's third hand here. So the, um, the thing was, it's a, Nate said to him, well, you know, do you, how, how, do you know who this Jesus person is? You know, you kind of said that. Is that right? 
Not exactly. Okay, it's close enough. But the idea was, is he, he spoke up. He just didn't be quiet. He spoke up about, about something and, and kept the conversation going. It wasn't like, well, you know, these, the Basque students that are here, we're trying to build relationships with them and we got to be careful because we might offend them, you know, and so, no, he kind of like, he said, okay, okay, hey, you know, this story in scripture that you're talking about, you know who this Jesus guy is. It opened the door for a conversation. Sometimes we're so afraid to speak up. It's easier to say nothing. But boldness, a boldness baby step is, is deciding to say something when it would be easier to say nothing. Boldness is also taking advantage of opportunities that present themselves. Let me tell you something that's going to happen to you guys if you start praying bold prayers. If you start praying, God, let me be a witness for you. And let me speak with boldness to people around me. Guess what's going to happen? You'll have opportunities. You'll have opportunities. And you need to take advantage of those opportunities. I thought about this. You know, recently we've had a lot of folks in this community and a lot of different people go overseas, go over to, to, to Iraq and other places to serve in the military. And a few years ago, actually not too long ago, just a couple of years ago, uh, Fred Schreffer, who's one of our guys, he served a couple of, a couple of tours in Iraq. Uh, he came back, and when he came back, he told me, you know, he had to serve in Iraq because he's in the military and he had to do that. And, 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 and Fred's kind of a bold guy anyway, so I thought it was pretty cool. And, and, and the first I asked Fred, how was your tour doing it? He didn't say anything about, you know, the heat and the oppressiveness and, and, you know, fighting. He said, man, I got a great opportunity while I was there because I had all these guys in the military that I was with, and I could share Christ with them. He didn't see his tour of duty in the military as, 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 as a burden. You know, yes, it was a burden because his kids were here and he was there and he was trying to deal with stuff. But the issue was, as he saw as an opportunity that presented itself, my brother-in-law was the same way. He's a, uh, retired as a lieutenant colonel from the Air, Air Force. And he said while he was over in uh, a desert storm uh, for nine months, ten months, every day he spent his whole time just about, he said, you think I was, you know, he was sending out flights and, and, and you know, and uh, A-10 flights and doing all this stuff. But every day he said I had the opportunity because, you know, he said in wartime there is, there's not too many atheists in wartime. And he said, it, it, I found it to be true. And he said every day I'd have opportunities to share with guys that they came and talked to me about their burdens, I could share Christ with them. See, bold is taking taking advantage of the opportunities that present themselves. Bold is even creating opportunities. Creating opportunities. Not just waiting for them to come to you, but creating opportunities. Uh, you know, I love, I was, I was thinking about the baptism videos today. Let me tell you, the scariest thing about baptism for most people is not getting dunked underwater. It's about doing a 30-second second baptism video. And, and I found that to be true, uh, you know, in a lot of different places. For some reason, we're going like, man, somebody's got, you know, cameras in your face. You're going to look, your head's going to look this big, you know, on the screen. And you're going like, man, I don't want to do that. But I, I remember uh, when we got the idea years ago of doing this was from uh, North Point Community Church, Andy Stanley's church. And he was, and I, I heard a story he told about, uh, about a baptism video story about one of the adults in his church. This guy was a business guy and he, and he you know, he worked in business all the time, but he was going to be baptized. And he decided that he was going to, you know, he was, he was going to be baptized. And, and to prepare for the baptism video, he decided that he really needed to, he took it seriously. He said he, he decided to, to take some, uh, to join Toastmasters. You know what Toastmasters is? Anybody know what that is? It's an organization where you learn to speak and learn leadership skills. 
This guy took it seriously. He said, because I want to be good about this. And so in Toastmasters, what he found out he had to do was when he got there, he had to come up with a story. And they give you ideas of stories that you could, you know, share because you're kind of developing a story. and You're sharing a story with the whole group there that's in the room. And so he said, you know, he thought about it for a while. And he'd go like, I've got a story. And his story is how I became a Christian. So in his Toastmasters class, what he does, he begins to share. And he says, you know, not only can I do this and learn how to do it better, but he says, I can share with other people in the class. He created an opportunity. You know, did everybody like it? No, but they were stuck. See, our threshold of pain and fear and discomfort is so low. And it's a blessing that we live in such a safe place. But unless we are grateful and good stewards of the blessings, we miss out on what God has for us. And part of what God God has for us is the joy of seeing people's lives changed. Aren't you glad if you're a believer that somebody was bold with you? That somebody at least was bold enough to say something to you? Aren't you glad about that? You see, some of us have been Christians so long, we've lost our boldness. We've been, we've been Christians so long that we've kind of lost sight of the fact that, you know, we, we don't remember what it was like to live without Christ in our life, and so we've become, we've lost boldness. Some of us are so busy that we, that we, we just don't have time to be bold. And I'm thinking this morning, I was going like, oh my gosh, I better need to speak this one thing. You know, some of you here, and this is true every week at Great Oaks, if you're not a Christian and you showed up this morning because you came to the community bash yesterday or uh, you just kind of somebody invited you to come to, to witness baptisms or whatever, if you're not a Christian this morning, uh, I know what you're thinking right now. I really do. I can read minds. You're going like, you know, that is exactly what I hate about Christians. Why can't they just keep it to themselves? This whole Jesus stuff. You know, the good news is for you is that most Christians do. They keep it to themselves. I mean, you might work right next door to a Christian or you might play golf with a Christian and you don't know they are because they're secret Christians. But there's some of us who believe this and and this is the last verse and we're going to wrap up. We believe, we believe that the verse that we learned when we were kids, uh, you know, or learned somewhere, the, maybe the first verse we learned, John 3.16, which says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his own, one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. There's some of us who believe that that is so important, the message of that is so important, that we cannot share, even if we offend you. And we want to speak the truth and we want to do it in love. We can't help but being bold because of what God has done for us. So my hope and my prayer for all of us, me included, that is in spite of, because of us or in spite of us, you will discover the truth of that verse. That God loves you so much that he's answered the question that you need it answered. And he did it through his son, Jesus Christ, the name And it's because of the resurrection you can have life, not only now, but eternally secured with him. Let's be bold and let's uh, pray bold prayers. And let let God's spirit work in our lives in new and bold ways. Let's pray.
thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.